I appreciate what's been shared so far. Um, as I thought about a holy God, we sang about a holy God. It's not only a, a holy God we serve, but the one phrase that jumped out to me, I think it was in Deuteronomy 30, verse 3, maybe, it said that his name is holy also. That, that stood out to me as we were reading through Deuteronomy. And also, Byron, that was, it was good as you shared about, um, you know, how we need to seek after God and not just uh, draw away from him. So the title of my message that I've uh, put a title to it, I called it An Open Door. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn to Revelations chapter 3, verses uh, 7 to 3, there's a few people here that, are, that haven't been here, as I've, I've been sharing on um, the uh, seven churches in Revelations, and so this morning... I'm going to be talking about the sixth church, which is the Church of Philadelphia. Revelations chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. I'll go ahead and read that. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, and this is Jesus writing again right here, or Jesus saying this, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation." which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold thou fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven, from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. So, I think this church is really worth examining to see how they did life, because this church was a loyal church. It's a church that had overcome evil. It had preserved over temptation, and it had come out victorious. So, you know... Um, you know, I think we tend to think that our generation is unique. It's, uh, it's different than, uh, than the generations in the past. We tend to think that um, it's, it's somehow more difficult. But the reality is that human nature and God, it hasn't changed in all these years as we look at, at human nature and, and, and life. The same principles that kept the early church faithful will also keep us faithful in life. So that's, that's what we want to try to look at some of those things this morning. So as I read over this portion, there were several things that stood out to me about this church. As we go over it, you know, the Lord might point out something different to you in particular to what's happening in your life, and, and that's good. That's, 
you know, the Word of God speaking to us. I know we're not going to hit everything, but, you know, I'm sure there's more to glean from these verses than just what I'm going to touch on. So let the Lord speak to you this morning. But we're going to begin by looking at some of the last verses first. So let's start in verse 11, where they were admonished to hold fast that which thou hast. You know, all of us, you know, we respond in different ways to situations that arise. But one thing that's expected of us is to, per to persevere and to not throw away those things that are good. Hebrews 3, 6 is, it's a familiar verse in the Bible that also admonishes us to hold fast, to be firm in the confidence that we have in Christ until the end. So when the going gets tough and we face various temptations, maybe false teachings or, or even perse persecution, when, when that going is tough, it's then that the genuineness of our faith in Christ is it's really revealed in those tough times whether you're really genuine or not. The question is, you know, are we going to waver and cave in or are we going to be steadfast? Are we going to hold fast? Another verse in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, tells us to hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. The picture I have in my mind when I think of holding fast, maybe you have another picture, but the picture that came to my mind was a game that I play with our dog Flicker sometimes. When I'm walking up from the greenhouse, we have a little trail that goes through the woods and she's with me often. She'll be down there and she'll walk up with me to the house and part way up she'll, especially when she was younger, not so much now, but she, she would grab a stick that's laying alongside the trail and she'll take off running and, and I'll chase after her and try to grab the stick from her. And if I can get it, and that's a big if, if I can get it, because if it's a little stick, she's pretty quick and it's really hard to get it. But if I can get that stick, um, especially if it's a bigger stick, then, then usually I can get a hold of it because it's slowing her down. But when I get that stick, I kind of play a tug of war game She's growling and uh, holding fast to the stick to the point that I can literally, you know, pick her up off the ground. And uh, she continues to hold fast to that stick. And um, she does everything in her power to hold fast. And it's with that same intensity that we need to hold fast to the confidence that we have in Christ and of our faith in Christ Jesus. Read just again that verse in Hebrews uh, 10, verse 23, where it says, Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. And that's also what was encouraged in verse 11 there. In verse 13, we're also admonished to hear what is said. To hear is to obey and respond. Maybe as a child, your mother or dad called you to come for supper. You were out. Maybe uh, physically you were out in the woods. You know, you were playing. Maybe you were at the house down the basement, you know, playing house or something like that. But you heard the call physically, but you were engrossed in what you were doing, playing house, 
building your fort or, you know, like I said, building whatever you were doing. And you soon, even though you heard it, you soon forgot, put it out of your mind that you were supposed to come for supper. And that's not hearing, even though you heard it, it's not hearing because you didn't obey, you didn't respond. Or maybe as an adult, you were sitting at a table next to another brother or sister from church and you were having a conversation and suddenly your ears, as you're having this conversation with a brother and sister, your ears picks, picks up uh, some key words further on down the table of a topic that you're really keenly interested in. And you find yourself intently trying to hear what this discussion is without offending the brother or sister that's right next to you. And the person next to you continues to talk, oblivious of your interest down the table, and you sort of mumble a response uh, to their thoughts, hoping it makes sense to them. That's, that's not hearing either. Maybe you found yourself in that same situation. That, that's not hearing because your, your, your attention is down here, down the table, and you're, you're not hearing what the person right next to you is saying. When we truly hear, we're focused and we're tuned into what's being said, and we, re, we respond accordingly with either affirmation or obedience. And God's word is, it's no different. Our whole being should be so in tune with the, the word of God from our interaction with it that when scripture comes alive to us and, and seems to almost jump off the page, we should immediately recognize it as being from God and respond to him. And that's, that's hearing when we immediately respond and, and recognize it as being from God. That's what, that's what this church at Philadelphia, I think that's what, who they were. Another phrase that caught my attention was the beginning of verse 12. Him that overcome. You know, as we've looked at these seven churches um, this isn't a new phrase by any means, him that overcome, because as you read through each, and I, I double-checked it a couple times, it's in each of the seven churches, Jesus refers to them, him that overcome. This mess, It's a message of, of hope and encouragement that was given to this church at Philadelphia also. The Greek meaning of overcome is to conquer, to prevail, or to get the victory. As Christians, we need to be overcomers because we are involved in a spiritual battle. Romans 3.27 tells us that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, him being Jesus Christ. Jesus then also tells us in John 16.33 that in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So we know that Jesus has overcome the world. Be of good cheer. The fact that Jesus has already overcome the world gives us assurance that through Jesus, we also will be able to overcome and conquer the evil that we confront in life. <clears throat> and in order to overcome, we need to truly, we need to hear Jesus' voice and we need to hold fast to our faith with Jesus. 
So let me ask you a question now, and I'd like a response from you all. What's more inviting to you, an open door or a closed door? An open door? How about the rest of you? Is that kind of the way you feel? That that's, I see heads nodding. An open door generally is more inviting, it's more welcoming than a closed door. I'd like for you, for you also to respond to this. Finish this comparison statement for me. If an open door is welcoming, a closed door is fill in the blank. Fill in that blank for me. If an open door is welcoming, a closed door is... Did someone else say something? Security, okay. Restrictive. Restrictive. Yeah. Cold, maybe re rejection. Um, I hadn't thought about that. That's interesting, Chad. Thought uh, security. It could. I was thinking a little bit more the other way there. But this concept of an open door is used in verses 7 and 8. And let me just read those again. You can look at them also. I'll just begin at 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, and he that hath the key of David. He that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. I'll stop there. I guess when I read verse 7, my mind went to the ark, went to the door that was in the ark that Noah built. Here was a physical door, literally a door that was a door of salvation that was open to the current population in Noah's day. You know, in children's Bibles and storybooks, we often find pictures of of Noah preaching to the crowd, trying to convince them to come in, and you, you have a picture of the ark with the open door, and he's trying to convince them to come in. So as, as I was thinking about this open door and Noah preaching to them to come in, then I went back and I reread the Genesis story several times. I was looking for where Noah was, was preaching, and I didn't, didn't find that portrayed quite that way. It wasn't until I did a little bit of digging and uh, I read in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, where it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, that I found a hint of anything referring that, that Noah actually preached to the people at all. In Genesis 7, 1, it says, The Lord said unto Noah, Come, thou and thy house, into the ark, for thee have I seen righteousness before me in this generation. So we have to read between the lines a little, but evidently Noah did indeed preach the way of righteousness to the people, only they didn't accept or they didn't believe their, their way of righteousness and salvation. You know, they, they rejected that. And God, who knows our hearts and intents only, found Noah worthy of the, whole, of, of the whole population of the earth at that time. He found them worthy, and he invited them into the ark. It was God who invited Noah to enter the ark through the open door. 
So I think we can draw kind of a parallel between Noah and, and now. Things really aren't that much different from between then and, and the new covenant with Jesus. Like I said, pe- people pretty much are the same from generation to generation. To put it in clear, simple terms, the door is now open to everyone. Everyone is invited and welcome. Only now it's us, like Noah, that has a job to preach salvation to those that are unsaved. And those unsaved, they in turn, like the population in Noah's day, they they must decide whether to believe and live a righteous life or deny truth and be judged by God. Just as the people's sin in Noah's day grieved God, our sin today grieves God also. But we know that God is merciful and he's long-suffering. There's numerous examples throughout Scripture. I'm not going to go to those. But there there comes a time that's, that's only in God's control that the opportunity is gone for our salvation, whether it's by, by death or some other means, and the door is shut. There's, there's no more time to go backwards in reverse, so to speak, and make amends for our sinfulness. Genesis seven sixteen says, and the Lord shut him in. There was no possibility of those outside anymore to pry open that door as hard as they tried. You know, as the waters rose up and the people realized their mistake, that, you know, they should have been listening to Noah. And they probably pounded on the door trying to get in, but it was to no avail. You know, the door was shut. But for us today, we can take heart if you're not living victoriously in righteousness today, the door is still open today. If you haven't heeded the call in the past to follow Jesus, his invitation is still open for you to come. Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. You see, when we access and enter the door of Jesus, and we place our trust and faith in Jesus, we then can have peace with God. So that's what what Paul said in Romans 5, 1 and 2, and I'd like to turn there and just uh, read those verses, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. So it's clear, going back to our text again, it's clear at the end of verse 7 of our text, that when God opens the door, we as mankind, we can't shut the door. But when God decides to shut the door, we also are unable to open the door. 
this process of that 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 process of opening and closing it lies with with God alone. What lies with us, I think, is whether or not we enter into and walk through the open door as invited. So thus far, I've, I've kind of been focusing more on an open door to salvation. So I'd like to kind of change gears a little bit. Let's, let's think now about the open door in a different way. What open door of opportunity is before you? Paul in the Bible, I think, recognized that it was God that opened the door of opportunity for him to preach and to speak. In Colossians 4, 3, he asked the church to pray that God would open the door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. And then also in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, Paul affirms that it was the Lord that opened the the harbor city of Troas up to him so that he could go in and he could preach the gospel to them. It was, it was God that opened that door up for him. And he also asked the church to, that they would pray that God would open the door of utterance for him to be able to speak. So when you personally, or we as a church, you know, we pray that God would open or close the door for you know, some specific request, I think that's a proper thing for us to do as Christians But where the rubber really hits the road, so to speak, is when the door is opened by God. Do you proceed through it? Conversely, when God closes the door, do you back off? that's, That's up to us a little bit more. Genesis 7, 13 says that in the selfsame day entered Noah, he entered into the ark. The door was open to him and he entered in. Jesus also spoke of how it was how it was before Noah entered into the ark. So Jesus was referring back to that also in Matthew 24, 38. Today, when God opens a door for us, we might not know what lies ahead. But if we proceed and enter through the open door, just like Noah. When God opens the door and we enter by faith, fully trusting that God will take care of us, we know that he will. We know that he took care of Noah and that he'll also take care of us also. It's not just the doors of salvation that's opened, the doors of opportunity that God opens. I think God also opens our door of understanding I especially like Psalms 119, verse 130, where it says, The entrance of thy words give light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. This book that we, that we read often, it'll open up your door of understanding, and it'll enlighten you, and it'll, it'll also direct you in, in all your ways. Part of... Paul prayed a a prayer in Ephesians, and part of that prayer for the Ephesians church in Ephesians 1, 18 was that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened in a way opened up. And I can testify for myself personally that that God does do that. He, He enlightens me, and he'll enlighten you also 
as, as, as I read the word of God, and as you read the word of God, he'll, he'll enlighten you. But we have to first, we have to open his book for him to open our understanding. So going back to the church of Philadelphia, we see that Jesus opened their doors of opportunities and they embraced that opportunity and they went through the door and they served Christ. And their works were noticed in verse 8 and they were rewarded in verses 10, 11, and 12. It says, I think even though they were weak in their strength, they didn't neglect uh, to keep God's word, nor did they deny Jesus' name. And for that, they were commended. I turned my, I guess I looked a little bit at the disciples, started thinking about the disciples and their weakness. Um, their weakness was, I guess, was kind of on full display when we read how they, they fell asleep while they were supposed to be praying for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, we, we look at them and we say, you know, they were kind of weak. You know, couldn't they even stay awake for an hour? Previously, I think Jesus recognized the disciples' weakness in John 16, 12, where he said, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. And, you know, he recognized their weakness that they couldn't bear it right now. Yet, we know that these same weak disciples, they were faithful unto the end. So just because we're weak, that's, that's not a, necessarily a bad thing. If we depend on Christ and rely on Christ for our strength. It's because of our of the steadfastness of the church of Philadelphia that, were, that they were promised in verse 9 that others would worship before their feet, that they would know that they were loved by God. And in verse 10, they were promised that they would be kept from the hour of temptation that will come upon, that would come upon all the world. And then verse 12, it says that to those that overcome, God's name would be written on them as well as they would be a pillar in the temple of God. These five things were promised to those that were steadfast and those that were faithful. So in closing, I'd like to share an interesting fact. If you would travel to the present-day Philadelphia, it's no longer standing, but if you would go to that area, that site, standing amongst the ruins of Philadelphia, there stands one solitary a uh, tall pillar, it's kind of reminiscent of the glory days previously experienced there. According to an ancient geog geographer, the area at that time, and I think probably even now, but the area at that time was full of earthquakes and was, it was daily shaken. It says that first one part of the city, then another part of the city was, was shaken so much so that one would wonder why anyone would even want to build in the area where Philadelphia was built. The Christians that lived there, you know, they, they daily saw their city shaken, and they likely probably had to flee out into the streets from time to time for their safety's sake, and they would have experienced it firsthand what it felt like to, for the ground to be shaken, seeing buildings falling, pillars falling, and they would, I think they probably understood their own precarious uh, position 
for them to topple spiritually also without the firm foundation of Jesus to stand on. And it was these Christians who saw the effects of earthquakes, toppling buildings, and falling pillars that Christ says to them, I will make him who overcomes a pillar in the temple of God, and ye shall go no more out. Because they knew that God's temple is sure and stable. It'll never totter or fall as these earthly buildings and pillars did back in their days, as they did. So let's encourage us to, let's put our trust in God where we'll never need the fear of needing to flee and to, to leave and to go out.